This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. Are you out there? We, we, ha- we had a little bit of a sound sound funk there, and the kind of everyone kind of gets their focus on that. So, I w- so let's get back to He alone is worthy, right? Right? Everyone say it. You alone. Jesus, you alone. Uh, that, 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 that's that distraction um, that, that gets there, and I believe that, that it's, it's what happens, but it's, I just call it out because I don't want it to, I don't want it to take our attention. I want, us to, I want to go back to where we were and what it is. So I want to say Happy Father's Day. Remember that there's no youth group tonight. Uh, Pastor Jesse and Kendra are on vacation, so they're not in the house today. You saw her on the screen, but they're not in the house today. And God, right now, we just pray over them. Would you strengthen them, refresh them? God, would you give them uh, a, a fresh outpouring of focus and of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. We're thankful for that. Remember that VBS is this week. Vacation Bible School, if you have not signed up, make sure you get in there and do so. You don't want to miss it. And uh, I, how many, how many know, know someone with a child uh, between, what is it, five and sixth grade, five and fifth grade? How many know someone with a child between five and, raise your hands, raise your hands. Five and, five and fifth grade, five and fifth grade. I'm waiting, 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 waiting. Uh, your job today is to text them or to call them. I'm not just talking about people in RLC, I'm talking people out in, in Salem. Call, text them and call them and go, hey, you don't want to miss out. This is going to be a great opportunity. Get them here. And if you haven't signed up for the uh, Union Gospel Mission Fun Run or Fun Walk or Miserable Walk, whatever you want to call it, I mean, uh, it, it's all for a really, really good cause. And uh, we would love for you to participate with us uh, today. You doing good? You're doing good. good. It's good to see you. Good to see faces I haven't seen for a bit. Make sure if I'm, you know who I'm talking to, don't leave without me giving you a hug today. Uh, I, I, it's good to see you guys. I'm glad that you're here. I love this new series. How many love the Bible? Uh, you know, we talked about last week, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Is it the book for you today? I think as we step into this Bible 101, it's, it's a topic that is so important. And the title of my message today is The Bible True. Is the Bible true? Everyone say that. Is the Bible true? Have you ever, how many have ever wondered that question? Is the Bible true? Come on, be honest. You're lying if you haven't raised your, if you're not raising your hand because everyone in this room is going, is this book really true? And today, uh, I'm going to endeavor within a short window to give you some information that I believe will substantiate this. But as we step into this, is the Bible true? Uh, Pastor Trenton laid the groundwork last week so well, and he said the goal of this series is not to tell you more from the Bible, but to teach and inspire you to learn from the Bible yourself. Today, our desire, our goal, our heartbeat is to not to come and feed you fish, but to teach you how to fish. To not to give you the Word of God, but to teach you how to get into the Word of God. Even though we're going to give you the Word of God, can I tell you how important it is that you know how to rightly handle the Word of God? We're going to get into it in another sermon, but to study to show yourself approved, a workman who rightly handles the Word of God, who understands it and knows it. And the only way you can understand it is get into it. The only way you can know it is get into it. The only way you can get better at it is get into it. And that's what we want you to do is be able to get into it on your own. Our, our desire here at, our, at Relevant Life Church is that you would not just be a people that, uh, would not be people that just hear about the Bible on Sundays, but that you would be a people that, who, that use, personally use and know the Bible Monday through Saturday. 
How many have had your interest peaked? How many have been more focused on the Word this week? If so, we're accomplishing our goal. If so, that's what our heartbeat has been. Uh, I love the Word of God. I'm going to make some statements in this, just this next part here that I don't want to come across as arrogant, but I want you to, he- I want you to hear how much I love the Word today, and I will, I, will, I will throw myself in humility in just a moment, but I don't want you to close me out because of what I'm going to say, because it can sound arrogant. Anybody hear me what I'm saying, please? I love the Word of God. I do love word- reading and studying the Word of God. I have dedicated 40-plus years of my life to study this book. I've gone to Bible college, I've got a master's, all of it to prepare me and to help me grow in doing what I do for a living and being a pastor, to stand and to preach week after week after week. I've had the privilege of teaching biblical interpretation at a college level for the last seven years. I love Bibles. I love Bibles. I love leather Bibles. I love soft leather Bibles. Uh, I'm obsessed with soft leather Bibles. If you wanted a good Bible, I'll tell you which ones to get. Um, As I began to look at it, I uh, looked at my home library as well as my office library, and I have over 32 Bibles that are mine. I have a lot more that are others that people have given to me. Some are old, some are ripped up, some are deeply used, some are brand new. I realize that I have over 77, uh, access to over 77 electronic versions of the Bible on our Bible app. I have over 300 uh, versions of the Bible in my logo software, which is a Bible academic software. But in saying all these facts and saying all of this stuff, my hope is that you'll evaluate your own life, but I have to come to this conclusion. Kevin, if you have all this and you've done all this, Kevin, what's your excuse for not knowing more of the Bible? What's your excuse for not stepping into it more? What's your excuse for not allowing it to change your life more? What's, what's your excuse for not memorizing it more? What's your excuse for not doing this? I realize that so much of what I, I know about the Bible, I realize there's so much I know about the Bible, but there's so much I don't know about the Bible. How many have discovered that? That this book that we have, that we talk about week after week after week, is something that we don't really understand completely. The reality is this it doesn't matter how many Bibles you have, but what does matter is how much of the Bible has you. And I realize that in my life that I've prepared and I've studied and I do and I have all these things that I can check a box and go, I've got. But the reality comes back to this. It doesn't matter all that knowledge that I have unless the Word of God has me. Unless it's changing my life. You know, I I know people that have, have books of the Bible memorized and I go, that's great, that's amazing. But how much of that knowledge and that memory is actually impacting your heart and your life? I'm alarmed at the lack of biblical literacy in our culture today as also my life. I don't have an excuse, but there is an excuse in our world today oftentimes. This idea of literacy is the ability to read the Word of God and to apply it into our lives and to our culture. Biblical literacy occurs when a person has access to a Bible in their language and he or she understands it and they're steadily moving towards a knowledge and an understanding of the text. It's not just reading. It's not just something that's there. 
The deception is this. The deception in America is this, that if we have this book, then we're biblically literate. The deception in this world, in our culture today, is that if we go to church for 40 minutes on a Sunday and we hear a sermon, we go, I'm biblically literate. We listen to a podcast and we go, I'm biblically literate. And I want to tell you today that we live in a culture that is biblically illiterate. We live in a culture that does not know or understand the Word of God. When we think of literacy, the ability to read and write, we must realize that the majority of us in this room, we're talking 90, what, 91% of Americans have a level one reading and writing ability. There's a level one, level two, and a level three. A level one is a functional ability to be able to read directions, to be able to read something and comprehend it and figure out, okay, this is right and this is wrong. So we talk about 91% of Americans, 91% in this room have a functional ability to read and to write. And yes, we can get into this process in our educational system, and that's going to break down really quickly, and we're not going to go there today. We can criticize, but I want you to realize today that most of everyone in this room has been given tools to be biblically literate. We have an understanding of words. We have an understanding to be able to read and to write. In America, in the English translation, not just America, but we've been blessed to have around 900 translations or paraphrases of this book for us. That's a lot. When we, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to give the statistics today, but can I tell you that there are over 7,000 languages in our world today, and there are only 2,800 2, of them that actually have a Bible in their own language? And here we have 900? We have 900. And I'd say today, if you don't have a physical Bible, we'll give you one. If you don't have a physical Bible, go on and get, download the Bible app. It's free, and you can have 70 different translations. But I ask you this question this morning before I step into the meat of this message. If we have so much access to the Bible in our languages, what is our reasoning or excuse for not being biblically literate? That's the confrontation that we want you to feel today. We don't want you to feel condemnation. We want you to feel the, the, the strength of this statement that we really don't have an excuse. I don't have an excuse. Kevin does not have an excuse to not be more biblically literate, to not understand it, and to not know more about it. Today, I want to answer this question is how do we know that the Bible is true? Heavenly Father, today, I pray that you would give us a deep hunger for your word. God, that we would want to know more about you. And God, in this process today of this message, God, I have a bunch of words and I have a bunch of statistics, but God, I know it's going to be through your spirit and only your spirit that is going to change perspectives and change hearts. So God, we ask that you would do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. 2021 studies revealed this, that we are surrounded by biblical literacy Illiteracy, excuse me, 4% of those age, uh, from the ages of 16 to 39 are biblically illiterate. 4% are, are, excuse me, are biblically literate. Nine, that means that 90%, 96% are biblically, are, are biblically illiterate. We have to step back and go, so we think about this room, 
4% of this room would be considered as biblically literate. 2021 recent polls with Gallup says that more Americans now believe that the Bible is a book of fables and history than those who believe it is the literal Word of God. Recently, they've recently released this process that they say that fewer than, than a third of Christians say it is to be taken literally. Over the past three decades, Americans view the Bible view of the Bible as the literal word of God has been declining while their, while their view that the Bible is a collection of fables, myths, and historical records by man has been increasing. Among all sampled Americans, fewer than one in four, 24% in total, said that the Bible is the actual word of God and is to be taken literally. A slightly higher 26% said that the Bible is a book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. While another 47% said that they believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, but it's not to be taken literally. Gallup goes on to say that it was the first time in four decades that the, the biblical literalism, literalism excuse me, has not surpassed biblical skepticism. Can I tell you, we are in a culture shift in our culture where once the Bible was once admired and once understood and once prescribed and once believed, and we're now, those who believe it are the minority, not the majority. Belief in the Bible as the literal word of God was the lowest among young adults ages 18 to 29, with 12% supporting such a view. The highest among, uh, among the, the stats were the 50 to 64-year-olds at 31%. When it comes to Christians, this was the revelatory that I want you to hear today. When it comes to Christians, Gallup recorded that 30% uh, in, in total agree that the Bible is the literal word of God. So 30% 30, 30 of Christians, this large mass of Christians across our planet, across America, say that it is the literal word of God. 54% said that it was inspired by God, and 14% offered that it was possibly a book of fables, that the stories that they learned as a child may not really be fact. This book, when we think about it, has caused a lot of conflict. A lot of conflict throughout the ages. There's been a lot, of a lot of people that have laid down their lives for this book. Billy Graham said this, down through the years, it's been ridiculed, it's been burned, it's been refuted, it's been destroyed, but it lives on. It is the anvil, anvil that has worn out many hammers. Most books are born, they live a short few years, then they go away, go the way of all the earth, and they're forgotten, but not the Bible. The Bible is preserved, and yet it lives on. Today, what we want to come is we want you to feel the confidence that I feel today. God, I want, I, I, I've been praying, God, help me to communicate in such a way that when people walk out of this room... There's a deep conviction in their heart that they know, not just because they've heard it so, but there's a belief in their own lives that they know that this book is true. Amen. The major division between many professing Christians today is no longer denominations. A recent show is this. The division between those who believe, it's, it's actually a division between those who believe the Bible is true and those who do not. Rather than coming and going, I'm from this denomination, they come back and go, uh, I believe it's an idea, or I believe it's the Word of God. And the question I ask you today is, where do you fall? 
Where do you fall? Do you come back and go, no, it's the literal word of God and I want to adhere by it in my life? Or no, it's just a book of ideas. While Christians could safely assume that God's word was considered a reliable source of truth for more than 2,000 years, there was this the dawn of postmodernism in the 19th century that presented alternative truths that we have been sucked into and that we have accepted, not just as Americans, not just as humans, but as Christians. Instead of the truth, this trendy pop culture now proclaims my truth and your truth, and that's, that's good for you, but it's not good for me. How many have heard that before? How many have even actually said that before? And I just want to make a declaration this morning before I step into my three points, is that we here at Relevant Life Church, pastor of Relevant Life Church, I want you to know that we proudly proclaim that this is the Word of God, inspired to us to direct our lives, inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. We realize, I realize today, yes, it is truth, but more than it being truth, can I tell you, truth is not about a book. Truth is about a person, and that person is Jesus. So today I want to give you three points of how do I know the Bible is true. Number one, number one, kind of cheeky, but the Bible tells me so. Everyone say it. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. You know, not only do we know that the Bible tells us that Jesus loves us, but the Bible tells us a lot about the Bible itself. And so today, this first point is to those of you who are believers in Christ, to those of you who love Jesus and say, no, I believe in Jesus. This one's going to be more to you, and then we're going to get to more of a little bit of the skeptics as we get on in point number two. Jesus verifies that the Bible is true. When we think about this, Jesus quoted from three-fourths of the Old Testament. Three-fourths of the books of the Old Testament. So that means 29 or 30 of those books, he quoted passages of Scripture from. When Jesus quoted from the book, from the Bible, he actually would say the Scriptures say. Everyone say the Scriptures. The Scriptures say. And that word Scriptures actually means inspired writings. So when we get to this idea of Scripture, the very first part of that is script. We understand script when it comes to a script for a, a play or whatever. This part that we're talking about when it goes into Scripture means inspired writings, that God did something supernatural. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 18 says, Jesus says, do, you, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, meaning the entirety of the Old Testament. I've not come to do away with that. I've not come to abolish it, but I've come to fulfill them. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until the heavens and the earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is coming and he's testifying about this book that we call the Word of God, this book that we, we believe in. The Bible tells us so. Jesus would not have quoted if we believe that Jesus was Jesus, and we can go through historical records. We're not here to prove Jesus' truth or his, in, of, of the reality or, or, or falseness of him today. We're assuming that he is because there's so much history about Jesus. But Jesus, if Jesus was quoting the Old Testament, he would not have quoted the Old Testament if it was inaccurate or untrustworthy. 
First Timothy chapter 3, verses six, verse 16 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Three-quarters of the English translations use this word inspiration. This word inspiration is actually a, the Greek word theo, theonoustos. Theonoustos, given by inspiration of the Spirit of God. If you extrapolate that a little bit further, which I, this is where you're going to see in the, in the NIV and some other translations, another quarter of them is going to say it actually defines the divinely breathed out word. Not only is it a divinely inspired word, but basically the connotation of this word of theonoustos is that noustos is come, comes from the word pneuma, the Greek word pneuma, which, where we get uh, pneumonia or we get uh, pneumatic drills, anything that has to do with air. We're talking about this idea of Theo is God, so this God, this God breathed. God breathed word that is here, the inspired word of God. So we step back and we have to understand that if Jesus believes and understands the word of God, he's going, no, this is inspired. This is God's breath. We see it in, verse, we see it in Genesis that God it says that God spoke creation into existence. One man says that Jesus is the written word and the Holy Spirit is the breathed word. I love that concept when we come back and we understand this gra- the gravity of inspiration. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. How does that apply to us today, Pastor Kevin? Well, when we go back and we look at all the minor prophets and the major prophets in the Old Testament, when we look from, uh, from all, all those, the end of the Old Testament, the prophetic books, is saying that this was not done by their own interpretation. They didn't just sit down and go, okay, let me fathom and let me understand and let me just write this in my own understanding. It goes on in verse 21, it says, for prophecy never had its origin in he- the human will. But the prophets, through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, by the breath of God. We have to step back and we have to understand the gravity of these passages of Scripture. What I love about this is it's not just that we see that it's inspired, but can I tell you what's so important is that it's actually written. It's written. We have a written book here that, is, that we'll get into in just a second of, of, of the, 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 histori- the accuracy of the hist- from history and archaeology. But can I tell you it's important that it's written? Because when we think about anything that's important, that is in, we, we say, put that in writing. Like you go get a contract for your car or a contract for your house, and it's not just a word of mouth. It's a written document. Jesus, as he walked this planet, as he confronted Satan after his 40-day temptation, he said, it is written. There was something that he can come back to go, no, there is a, a, a confirmation of the truth of Scripture. Because it's written, it's been able to be verified and be able to be, it's been able to be authenticated. It's not just been by word of mouth. It's not just been something that's been transpired. It's been something that has been written. And I know that today when I say the Bible tells me so, we can go, oh, yeah, the Bible tells me so. But I want to step into point number two that's going to give us a little more gravity. Number two, evidence proves it so. Evidence proves it so. 
And I want you to understand that in this point number two, this is actually a three to five hour class of biblical interpretation. And I'm going to try and fit it into a short, short window here. When we think about evidence that proves it, we're talking about science and history and prophecy. And I want to tell you today, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a historian, I'm not a prophecy expert, but I can tell you that the evidence from the Bible takes many forms. There's physical evidence, the copies of manuscripts. There's archaeological evidence, which are archaeological finds. Uh, There's internal consistency and coherence that we can step back and we can recognize if we are looking through the eyes of evidence, we can see that the Word of God is true. If you were to understand two of the other two major religions of Buddhism and, and uh, uh, the Quran, the uh, Muslim, I, I just want you to understand the Buddhist book, holy book, was written by one man, Buddha. They are practices and enlightenments. The Quran was written by, by one man, Muhammad, and was compiled after his death. What I want you to realize about the Bible this morning is that it's 66 books written by 40 different authors on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, Aramaic, Greek, over 1,500 years. And there are absolutely zero contradictions. I want you to understand the gravity of that statement that when we come back and we go, no, how does this book even, how does this even carry gravity in our lives? Most of these authors never physically met each other, but yet their message is what they wrote, and what they wrote is structured, consistent, accurate, interrelated, and perfectly united throughout. Having a single unified theme is one of the reasons that you and I can know that the Bible is words God, word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, there is one major theme, and that theme is a redeemer. That theme is Jesus. And if I had opportunity this morning, I would read you where Jesus is in every single book of the Bible, because there is a statement about all of them. Having a single unified theme is one of the reasons that you and I can know that the Word of God is true. The fact that the Bible has only one theme is nothing short of a miracle. When you step back and go 66 books, 40 different authors, living over a span of 1,500 years, they've not had an opportunity to read one another's documentation, how do they have consistency? Forty different people, forty different ages, forty different stages of life, three different continents. They all wrote the same story, the Jesus story. They were prophets, they were poets, they were fishermen, they were kings, shepherds, and scribes. And yet it was all the same story. You couldn't have put it together more a diverse group of people. And yet the story come out. We could come back and we could understand it if one man would have written the entirety of the book. We could step back and we can understand if, if from Genesis to Revelation, one person edited everything to make it cohesive. Today, I want to give you several different things. Number one is scientific accuracy of the Bible. And there's a chart here, and I'm not going to take a long time, but if you go down the column of the Bible and where science would contradict it prior to to modern-day science, there were statements that we see in the Bible that the earth, the earth is a sphere, that there's innumerable, st- innumerable stars, air has weight, each star is different, light moves, all of these different things. We can see the Bible proving scientifically science. And then we had scientists come back 
then in the older days, and they would come with a statement, and now science today confirms the Word of God. The Word of God does not disconfirm science. The con- science confirms the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God became, became before science. Not only is there scientific accuracy, but there's archaeological evidence. Numerous archaeological and geographical evidences exist to prove the accuracy and historic truthfulness of the Bible. We're not just talking about one or two, but there is a predominant one. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. How many have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? If you don't know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls, you need to go research the Dead Sea Scrolls. When you begin to see all that is there, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were f- discovered in Qumran in 1947. A couple of boys were out playing in the desert, and they hit a ball, and they went into the cave to retrieve this ball. And the process of, they discovered these, these uh, jars that much looked much just like this. And they saw that there were some that were broken, some that were intact. And as they opened it up, pulling out literal scrolls of documentation. They didn't think anything of it, and they went and sold it to just a common merchant, these items in a common merchant for pennies, in a sense. And today, they're worth multi-millions of dollars. It was the greatest find for the evidence of God's Word. The greatest find because what it did is it revealed not only was there this understanding of Scripture from the Masoretic text, which was the Jewish text that we had, this actually took us 1,250 years earlier than that text. It was alarming. Not only is there the archaeological dig, but there's the prophetic and historical accuracy. There are more than 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Isaiah talks about the virgin birth 700 years before it actually happened. Micah tells us 700 years before which city Jesus would be born in. Zechariah describes in detail the way that Jesus would die. David describes the crucifixion 1,000 years before it happens and describes crucifixion 500 years before it actually was admitted into history. The first person that was crucified was 497 B.C. How could these men, Isaiah, Micah, Zechariah, David, and so many others, all these years before Jesus, how could they be so accurate? We have to come back and go because it was divinely breathed by God. It was divinely inspired by God. In asking this question of how do I know the Bible's true, we also have to ask the question, how do I know the Bible's not true? Can I tell you that oftentimes we put the proof of evidence, we, 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 we want the evidence put on this to go prove it to me rather than just going, how do I know that it's not If you take the time to balance out the information to go, let's prove that it's true and prove that it's not, can I tell you that every, and I objectively, every single time to prove it's true has much more weight than it is to prove that it's not true. Josh McDowell states this, no other work in all literature has been so carefully and accurately copied as the Old Testament. He has a whole video on it that I'll refer to in just a second because I'm not going to read all this. Most of our modern-day Bibles are based on a thousand-year-old manuscripts. But after the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947, we found biblical manuscripts going back to 250 B.C. 
that confirmed the accuracy of the manuscripts we already, we already had. Dr. Peter Flint concluded the biblical Dead Sea Scrolls are up to 1,250 years older than the tra- traditional Hebrew Bible. What's so amazing to, uh, that I step back and I'm fascinated by is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls an entire intact scroll of the 66 chapters that you and I have today of Isaiah, which proves the accuracy of what we have. There's no contradictions. Dr. Bruce Metzger from Princeton Theological Seminary said this, after you take 20,000 lines of the New Testament, it's safe for any scholar to say that 99.6% of the Bible has been corroborated by historian documents. Josh McDowell again, he says, the facts concerning the life and death of Jesus were foretold long before his coming and fulfillment in exact detail. Those prophecies are commonly called the messianic prophecies. Jesus repeatedly referred to the act that the scripture, scriptures of the Old Testament spoke of him. All of the gospel accounts contain the statements by Jesus claiming to fulfill various prophecies concerning him from the Old Testament. Those prophecies from the Old Testament pointing forward, uh, pointing towards a coming Messiah were not vague or limited in one part of his life, or to one part of his life, excuse me, but were spe- very specific Detailing a number of facts that his, that his, uh, that his life, uh, about his life, so that people might recognize him by comparing his life with the events foretold. There were 332 distinct predictions which were literally fulfilled in Christ. 66 of those are called major prophecies, and eight of those are called messianic, messianic prophecies. These prophecies of the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah would be preceded by a messenger. The Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey. The Messiah would be betrayed by a friend who ate with, them, with him. The Messiah would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. That that money would be thrown into God's house and used for a potter's field. The Messiah was to stand silent before his accusers. The Messiah was to die by crucifixion. These are all prophetic testimonies representing Jesus. Taking just these eight specific prophecies concerning the Messiah, Peter Stoner wrote in his book, Science Speaks. Science Speaks, if you're interested, to show that, more, that mere coincidence cannot explain these eight being fulfilled in one man. He applied the science of probability to show the chance that all eight prophecies would be fulfilled in one man. That prob- probability calculated out to be one in 10 to the 17th power. That means 100 quadrillion. That's one with 17 zeros. That Jesus, that a person could fulfill all eight of just just the eight of these prophecies. When Stoner's calculations were submitted to the American Scientific Affiliation for verification, both a committee of review and and, and the executive council found them dependable and accurate in regards to the scientific material presented. It does not take a great deal of mathematical prowess to understand that one in 100 quadrillion shows that the odds are heavily against these prophecies ever being fulfilled by one man. But do we really understand what 100 quadrillion really is? Josh McDowell gives this picture of Texas, and he says it's 268, 601,000 square miles. If you were to cut Texas on one side and fold it over to the other, over to over the United States, it would reach the Pacific Ocean. If you cut it the other way, it would reach to the Atlantic Ocean. If you would cut it from the bottom and reach it to the top, it would almost reach the Canadian border. 
That's the size of Texas. Would you want, what I want you to understand is grasp the, the gravity of this. Josh McDowell in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, gives this illustration. And some of you have heard this before. I think Pastor Bethany shared it when she was on staff. Josh McDowell points out the fact that it would take 100 quadrillion silver dollars to cover the state of Texas, coins being side by side two feet deep. Supposedly, we randomly marked one of those silver dollars and we let a man with a blindfold wander aimlessly as far as he wished and he was instructed that he could only pick up one silver dollar, the specific silver dollar that was marked. He would have the same chance of picking up that, the right civil dollar as, the one, uh, as that one man would have of fulfilling those eight prophecies about the Messiah. The fact is, is that Jesus fulfilled all eight of these prophecies and many, many more. How could the writers used to pen these prophecies know that one man would fulfill all of these predictions? That to me is I step back and I understand, and you're going to say, Pastor Kevin, I want to study this myself. Go to the next slide. I've given you uh, just a few things. You want more, I can give you more. But I really encourage you, every believer, every believer needs to go watch Josh McDowell. It was done in 2019, The Reality of the Bible. There's a YouTube address. I, I encourage you, I implore you. It's an hour long. You will be fascinated. He breaks down the idea of scribes and what they do. He's going to break down this whole concept in a much better way than I have done. The 10-minute Bible hour is by Matt Whitman, and he is amazing when he comes down and he talks about the Dead Sea Scrolls. He's got a lot of content on there. But if you're interested about the Dead Sea Scrolls, can I tell you that many of us do not know this? There are recent discoveries of Dead Sea Scrolls just like nine months ago that we're overlooking, that we're going, well, this is 1947. No, we're talking 2022, 2021. There were brand new discoveries of the Dead Sea Scrolls that we're finding more and more and more in the caves of Qumran. And also, then this other uh, evidence that demands a verdict has been a book that's been around a long time. He has just, Josh McDowell has just rewritten it, uh, and it's brand new content, all redone. And I just implore you, go, go. If, you, if you're interested about it, you want to know it, I've done just a fast overview. These are just a few resources. You want more, I can get them for you. The Bible tells me so. Evidence proves it so. And lastly, this morning... Lastly, my experience affirms it so. Can I tell you that God has given us such a boatload of evidence? Now it's our choice to believe. The reality on the, of the basis of our confidence in the Bible is not just placed on these historical evidence in the scrolls and the manuscripts that we possess. It's not a leap of faith, but it is a step of faith. I don't have time to unpack the idea of faith, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. We could give you all the facts and all the evidence, but there still has to be faith that's applied to go, I'm going to believe those facts. The most affirming reality of God's word is that of the historical evidence, both secular and spiritual, that points to the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ, that he was a real man, that he really lived and he really died and he did really rise from the grave. And because Jesus is real and the entirety of the Bible points to him, 
That is where we get our confidence. Today, I know Jesus is real because I've experienced Jesus. How do I know the Bible's true? My experience affirms it. Can I tell you this? I know the author personally. I didn't say I know the writers, but I know the author. And can I tell you today, he's a bestseller. He's been on the America's top list for years. I presented a lot of logic today, scientific reasoning, but you do have to take a step of faith. And I want to ask you real quickly, what kind of faith do you have? There are three kinds of faith. One is an unreasonable faith, believing something in spite of evidence. In spite of evidence, the evidence proves it's completely wrong and you're going, I'm just going to believe this anyway. Unreasonable. There's a blind faith, believing something without any evidence. I'm just going to accept the fact that this is true. And then there's a reasonable faith, believing in something because of the evidence. Today, I may not have done it very clearly. I've done it very quickly. But I can tell you there is a lot of evidence that proves that this book is the written, inspired Word of God. Your experience, your experience is determined by your faith. And I would invite you not into an unreasonable faith, not into a blind faith, but into a very reasonable faith. That even though you don't see Jesus, even though you don't see God firsthand, if you believe that he is there, you see him here. Because this book reveals him to us. It's why it is so important to us that you get into this book, that you allow it to be part of your life. John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because they, you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, meaning in the beginning in Genesis was the Word, being Jesus. And the Word, Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, the Word, Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory and the glory of the one and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know how I know the Bible's true? Because Jesus came from heaven to earth and he dwelt among us. And he became like us. And he died on a cross like we celebrated this morning. And he rose again from the grave and he saved me from my sins. I've encountered forgiveness. People all throughout history have testified about their life change as a result of their encounter with God. Not only is it a, their encounter with God, but the result of the encounter with the written word of God. How many can say that the Word of God has changed your life? For thousands of years, the Bible has changed countless lives, societies, and cultures. It's provided us a means by which mankind can know and understand who God is and what God says about every life situation. We can look back and we can see lives, we can observe lives that have been changed, but more importantly, I hope that you can testify with me today my life has been changed. I hope you can say your life has been changed. I've been impacted by God and this book. My encounters with God and his character and the revelations that come through knowing his word have changed my life. Can I tell you I've experienced conviction through the word of God? 
I've experienced peace from the Word of God. I have experienced wisdom from the Word of God. I've gained knowledge. I've experienced love. I've gained confidence. I've experienced comfort. And I could go on and on and on, all because of this amazing book that guides our lives. I want to remind you today as I close, the Bible is 66 books written by 40 different authors on three different continents, three different languages over 1,500 years, yet there are no contradictions. There's life in this book. Smith Wigglesworth says this, and I'm going to close with this and then pray. The Bible is the Word of God. It's supernatural in origin. It's eternal in duration, inexpressible in valor, infinite in scope, regenerative in power, infallible in authority, universal in interest, personal in application, inspired in totality. Read it through, write it down, pray it in, work it out, and then pass it on. Truly, it is the Word of God. It brings into man the personality of God. It changes the man until he becomes the epistle of God. It transforms his mind, changes his character, takes him on from grace to grace, and gives him an inheritance in the Spirit. God comes in, dwells in, walks in, and talks him through. Heavenly Father, today, I thank you for this book. If you have your written, the written Bible, maybe it's on your phone, would you just grab it and hold it close to your heart today? I know today that this is not something that happens by osmosis. God, I love these statistics. I love these facts. God, I was already in love with your word. But God, as I see all of these things, that makes me fall deeper in love with it. These concepts that are beyond understanding and comprehension, but they're life transformative. God, today, as we hold your word close to us physically, God, I pray that you would supernaturally do a work in us of a hungering and a thirsting for your word. God, may we be like the psalmist in Psalms 19, God, that we hunger for it. God, that we devour it, that we treasure it like gold. God, that we want it to be part of our lives, that we hide it in our hearts, that we might not sin against you. God, that we look at it as a light and as a lamp unto our path. God, may we embrace the truth of the word and really let it guide our lives. God, today, I don't know where everyone is at in this process. God, there may be those that wholeheartedly step into it and believe it, and there may be those who step back and are a little bit skeptical. There may be those that are going, this is a bunch of hooey. I need to study it on my own. God, I know that you know each person and each heart, and God, you are the one, the only one that can reveal that truth. So God, today, we invite you. If you're sincere, would you just say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to reveal it to me. Holy Spirit, would you reveal it to me? Would you reveal the truth to me? Would you reveal the reality and the depth of this word to me? 
God, we thank you that you have so much, that you understood humanity that there would have to be proof. And God, you've given us the proof. And God, we also step into this concept of saying, God, we are gonna take a step of faith to also believe. And God, we thank you for it today. We thank you for it today. God, again, would you take us deeper in your word? Would you give us such a dependence on it? And we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are here. If you need prayer, our prayer team is around the front. I just want to say, if you are curious about the statistics that I tried to get over in chapter or my point number two, if you want to email the church, I would be more than happy to share all that. I've cut it out of phases of books, and I can give you that as well. But God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Make sure you get on and register for all that's coming up. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.